So if everybody would turn to First Samuel, we're going to spend a lot of time hopping around in First Samuel. Um, what I'd like to open by looking at today is a compare and contrast between King Saul and King David, not necessarily specifically when they were only king, but at their lives and the choices they made. Okay, so 1 Samuel 10.22. Brother Robbie, are you able to grab that one? And uh, Brother Brad, can you grab 1 Samuel 16.11? So 1 Samuel 10.22, what do we see there, Brother Robbie? It says, Therefore they inquired of the Lord further if the man should yet come thither. And the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. He hid himself among the stuff. So Saul is being called to be king, and they're ready to to move forward with that, and they can't find him. He's hiding among the stuff. And if we can look at 1 Samuel 16, 11, Brother Brad. Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. So they also were looking for David when it was his time to be anointed. But David was found working and caring for the flocks. So we've kind of got two different choices there, two, two opposites and yeah. where they were looking for them. Um, one, uh, as we continue on, uh, can you grab 1 Samuel 13, 9 and 13? It might be 9 through 13, but we'll find out. Amen. <laughs> Yes, 1 Samuel 13, verse 9 and 13. How about... Just read verse 9, if you would, please, sir. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. So if, if you want to glance through the rest of the goes as we talk for just a moment on it, what you have here is Saul is waiting on Samuel. He's, he's in a moment where he should be waiting, and he grows impatient, and he offers the offering himself. He doesn't wait on his pastor. He doesn't wait on the Lord. And you ready? All right. Uh, 1 Samuel 20, 19. We'll, we'll wear out the spine in, in 1 Samuel by the time we're done, I promise. Good, good. 1 Samuel 20, 19. What do we have here? And when, thou hast, and when thou hast stayed three days, and thou shalt go down quickly, then come to the place where thou didst hide thyself when the business was the king, and shalt remain in the stone. Amen. So this setting of Scripture amazes me. David has been serving Saul. He's been getting javelins thrown at him. Mm-hmm. I would not have to wait on an answer if Brother Brad threw a spear at me. There would be an immediate, okay, I got it figured out. I'm out. But David's ready to flee. But Jonathan says, no, just just wait. You won't be at the feast that you're supposed to be at. And I will truly determine what my dad's feelings are for you. So David waits an additional three days for, for Jonathan to come back with an answer. When in reality, he already knew that Saul wasn't digging him too much. But nonetheless, he exercised that patience. Yeah. 
Whereas earlier we see that Saul did not exercise that patience. I'm going to try to move a little quicker through these. So, um, Junior, can you grab 1 Samuel 15, 27? And can you grab 1 Samuel 24, 4? You got, okay. What's 15, 27 say? And the Samuel turned about to go away. He laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle. Okay, so... The skirt of the anointed of God was kind of a sign of that anointing, if you will. You'll see in our next reading, when, when David does a similar action, he, he's remorseful. And I didn't get that at first. I spoke with pastor. He said, well, that was kind of a, a symbol of their anointing, a symbol of what God had placed on them. So here we see Saul removed Samuel's mantle in kind of a fit because Samuel said, you messed up and the kingdom's no longer yours. But we don't see where Saul was remorseful over removing his skirt. We see later on where he says, forgive me, I've sinned because I didn't listen to God. But there's not that reverence or respect for the man of God. Okay, and 1 Samuel 24, 5, 24, 4 and 5, excuse me. And the men of David said unto him, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. So, what a contrast. Um, I didn't get that at first. Like I said, I was going, well, what's, you know, okay. Well, Saul's been really bad to him. But David reverenced, David respected the leadership, the anointing, and the fact that Saul was the king. Regardless of what Saul was doing and how nutty he was being, David had reverence for that. And I think we're going to skip through a couple of these just for sake of time. Um, I'd like to look at the last two compare and contrast. 1 Samuel 28, 6, 7. Brother Bradley, if we could go back to you. And then Brother Robbie, 2 Samuel six fourteen. Ready for you, brother. All right. When Samuel inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Then said Saul unto his servant, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said unto him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit and endure. So, Saul is very far down a very bad road, um, and he can't, he's missing that small voice. He's missing, he's missing God. He's missing the preacher. He's missing the Word. He's missing that precious thing that we have. And rather than continue to look in a holy way for it after he doesn't hear from God, he goes to somebody who has a familiar spirit. He goes to a witch, a sorceress. I can't remember the exact definition, but regardless... He moves in a negative direction with that. And if we look at the next one, Brother Robbie. Yes, sir. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. Amen. So now we see David seeking after God. David is trying to draw closer to God. Like Saul was trying to draw closer to God, trying to get an answer from him. When David went after God... 
He did it with his whole heart and he did it with praise. He did it with worship. He did. He brought the ark back. He said, I have to get closer to God or bring God closer to me, however you want to put that. He knew that the way was God. There was not going to be a little lady with a familiar spirit hiding down in a shack from the rules that say you can't do what you're doing. No, he went after God. In the last example, um, Brother Colin, 1 Samuel 14... We'll just, we'll just do verse 14. And Trenton, if you will grab 2 Samuel 12, 13. Yes, sir, 14, 14. And the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about... Oh, 20. I might have messed you up. I'll just summarize that one. How's that? If you look at that setting of Scripture, um, I'm... Sorry on that, brother. If you look at that setting of Scripture, we see where, um, as long as I wrote it down correctly, that Saul was told to go destroy the entirety of the enemy. And Saul instead chose to keep certain things of the enemy, which displeased God. And his pastor came and told him about it, and he proceeded to argue with him. Um, and I... and. I'm led to believe that that was actually meant to be chapter 15 because that is right before he ripped off the skirt of Samuel. But regardless, we have an example where Saul is arguing with his pastor when his pastor is saying, hey, what is going on? He says, what's this bellowing of, of the livestock that you saved that you were supposed to destroy? He says, well, essentially, I listened to the people and we all decided that we were going to save it and sacrifice it to God. And he said that was not God's plan. And he proceeded to argue with him for a couple of verses before he backtracked a little bit. And 2 Samuel 12, 13. I sure hope I at least got this one written down correctly. <laughs> Who's got 12, 13? Can you read that? And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So in this example, this is the Bathsheba example. But what happens is David's pastor comes and preaches to him. And David reacts to the preaching. David repents. David uh, sorrows over the decision he made rather than arguing with the pastor and saying, well, I, uh, I really like Bathsheba. No, he, he was repentant. He was remorseful. So now that... That took a couple minutes longer than I anticipated. We will, we will continue. In, and what I want to talk today about in accompanying to that example, compare and contrast example of decisions that were made and the outcomes. One had the kingdom taken from them and one was known as a friend of God. And we are released to choice when we start this new life. There are choices released to us, given to us, that we did not have before when we were in the world. I did not grow up in the church, um, and the only reason I lead to, with that statement is to say that from being in the church, I know there is no difference in the pressures that you guys will receive in your daily life, when you're at school, etc., etc., as far as there's, there's no one in, there's no elder in the church that 
is under the illusion that just because you gentlemen go to church, there's less peer pressure. No, no, nobody thinks that. I'm, I'm certain nobody has probably ever told you that. I just want to make sure that you understand that. If anything, there is more. Amen. And if anything, you're more aware of it because you know the truth. And so now it's like Brother Robbie said, now it's like even even more kind of in your face, right? Before, what if you weren't in the church, if you weren't saved, you wouldn't have noticed it. Now, you got to deal with it. Now, you have choices to make. Because you, you, when you get baptized, get filled with the Holy Ghost, repent of your sins, you get a whole, excuse me, a whole nother toolkit. A whole nother series of choices. <laughs> and... As you get older, and you don't have to go to school every day, given they have school again. I'm just kidding. But once you don't have to go to school every day, and you go, ah, awesome. I don't have to be around 100 of my peers that are going to pressure me every day. Keep your resolve. Because it doesn't cease when you become an adult. It, you have coworkers. You have family members. You have just general acquaintances the, the pressures won't cease. Pressures to go partying. Pressures to talk terribly. I love my coworkers. They are good people. But um, pressures to be unkind and be rebellious. I mean, there's a lot of rebellion going on uh, currently. And, and pressure to just simply not concern yourself with the church and God. And the list goes on. I, I know that you gentlemen could come up with a number of other pressures that you feel every day. Um, and as I said, we, we know that you have those pressures because we still have the same pressures that we have to deal with. We still have the same um, battle from good people, good friends or acquaintances or coworkers that are good people, but they just don't know any better. Um, and so... As you continue, as you continue to read, to pray, to fast, grow closer to God, i.e., as you grow in your walk, you will find that more of these choices are unlocked. Or rather that as you progress in life and hopefully progress in your walk as we should, you'll find that the choices change. Um, as you have a family, choices change. You have to choose um, a, a a myriad. You have a myriad of choices with the family. Let me promise you that. But um, so I'm saying that just to make sure that you keep up the growth. Yeah. Because the requirement to make choices will not change. Some days it seems like I only have to make one. And that's generally getting out of bed because I do not like my alarm clock. <laughs> but there are other days where choices seem to come in about a million a second. Sure. You know, you're uh, hanging out with, with some friends and you know, as soon as you get 10 people around, the choices are going to just be blasted at you because there's a lot of people wanting to do a lot of things or doing a lot of things. That you have to choose whether or not you're going to hang out for, you're going to be around for, you're going to react to. Okay. And, and so there, there are just a lot of choices. I'm not trying to say, I'm, anyway, I'm not trying to berate choices too many times, but I was really, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Completely lost it. It touched me uh, very deeply going through this, thinking about choices. Um, 
and the power that they have. In, in terms of our example that we opened with, we have the power. We've been so long that my phone won't even show me the timer anymore. Um, we have the power to make the choices of David or of Saul. We have the power to make choices of getting the kingdom or getting it pulled from us. Amen? Um, <clears throat> so you have been released and, and need to continue this growth in both the liberty that you've gained of having choice and the responsibility. Because as we know, you can't have one without the other. A lot of people like to tell you freedom is freedom from responsibility. That is not the case. You, you have responsibility. So I, I want to go back over that list very quickly. I'm, I'm being conscious of your time as much as I possibly can. Um, but we'll go through those. We'll go through the decisions that David made. Some of them were solid right off the bat. Some of David's decisions, uh, like with Goliath, there was an enemy challenging God, challenging his people, blaspheming them, and David was solid as a rock. His brothers were picking on him, and he was like, uh-uh, no. Is there not a cause? Is, I mean, we are not going to stand for this. That is a rock-solid decision immediately. That is a choice he made that is like, whoo! If I made that, I'd, I'd feel, I'd be happy. <laughs> I would be happy with myself if that was the very first decision I made in that kind of uh, an instance. But we are human, so we will make mistakes. David made a number of mistakes. But what we find, and as we go through these examples, it, some of his good choices were reactive good choices. He made a bad decision, and then he went, oh, nope, got to fix that. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Saul, most of the time, did not. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to try to blitz through these. Um, but I was thinking about this, and it just blew me away because there was a, a Calvin and Hobbes comic strip on the table. We have been given, like, one of the greatest superpowers imaginable, but you won't find it in any comic book. Um, this is like the generation of Marvel and DC and, and all the super cool fly around spider webby stuff. Um, you've been given this power of choice. Yeah. Upon new birth, upon entering the church, upon getting to know God, you have literally been given the choice of heaven or hell. Exactly right. Whereas you didn't have it before. Because you didn't know. Not because God was not willing to give it to you or God did not want to give you that information. That's simply the reason you have it. It's because he desires for you to have that choice. But the amazing power in the choices I make is it, it just blew me away to think about it. It's such a simple thing that I just take for granted so often. But it is literally like a super... I mean, eternity is in our hands in the sense that we can choose to rebel or we can choose to follow God. I know I make it sound super simple when I say, oh, we just get to make a choice. But we do. We do. It's not always easy, but we do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to speed read through some of these real quick, given I can find them in time. Joshua 24:15 says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve 
whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Decision, choices. Are you going to follow after the choices of worldly friends or worldly people or are you going to follow after the choices and decisions of God? Are you going to follow after God as the head of everything, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone? And boys, I think I lost a page, but that's okay. Um, those are the decisions we have to make. As, as young men, you have to build, you have to work, you have to make purposeful choices to get closer to God so that you can be more like him, make choices more like he would make. Yeah. I mean, you have to build on that. You're not instantly going to be at the level of Pastor Herring. Pastor Herring is a very good choice maker. Amen? Yeah. He's still human, but I, every conversation almost possesses scripture when I talk with him. He just, that's the way his mind thinks. When he's confronted with a problem, it goes to God. Whereas sometimes when I'm confronted with the problem, I, I don't even know where it goes. But you have to continue to grow. Build on that as for me and my house. Now, Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2. And be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is that transformation through our choices. This is uh, not conforming to the pressure. And if I can, the best word I could come up with was lack. I know that seems opposite. But there are certain things in this world that the, the world itself, the enemy, has worked so hard to desensitize. Oh, sure. There are some things that you will get peer pressure towards. Uh, uh, somebody may try to peer pressure you into drug abuse. That is going to require peer pressure. But there are things in this world like alcohol, like violence and rebellion, that have been so feverishly worked on to make it seem there's, there's no peer pressure needed to feel alien for not participating um, if you're in the world. The, it is so prevalent that these things, they've, the, the enemy has worked to make you feel alien if you're not participating. Right. Yep. I, I just wanted, that was something that came afresh to me that it doesn't have to be peer pressure. Somebody doesn't have to be asking you certain things that are worldly for you to already feel outside a little bit. Sure. Yep. But that's okay. Because we don't want to feel outside of God's will just to please the world, Amen. Um, Luke 24:32. And I promise, gentlemen, I am almost done. We will uh, bump through a couple of the, a little bit of the end of this a little quicker. 24:32. Um, and they said one to another, "Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and he opened to us the scriptures?" The word, the Bible, what you have in your hands ignites or fans a fire within you. There's, there's no way around it. That is a guide to make godly choices. Trust me, I've made the error through distraction or stupid choice to just not read a lot during the week before. I mean, I, there were times where I was down to just 
couple chapters, maybe a couple of verses, because I was so busy, so distracted. And it's like trying to ride a bicycle with zero air in the tires. On like gravel, down on the Matanuska River. I'm telling you, you can't do it without it. You cannot train yourself to build the habit. If you're anything like me, there's a struggle to build good habits just to carve out the time to do them. It's not the lack of desire, but sometimes it's just hard to structure my day so that I have that time. So please do that. Um, and just to wrap it up, James 4.17. This one um, can strike deep in a positive way. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So you have been released to choice. You have got this incredible power. You can say no and not give a single explanation and just say no because it's not godly, because it's not holy, whatever it may be. You can say yes to choices because they are godly. You have been given a knowledge that not everybody has currently. It's our job to spread that and share that with them, but you've been given a power. And it comes with that responsibility. You know to do good. I know to do good. And if I don't do it, that's on me. That good is, is like treating others with respect, right. which is a blatant issue right now in, in the world, in, in our country. Treat people with decency. You know to do that. You know to treat your younger sister really nice, even though you want to kill her. <laughs> I had a younger sister. I get it. But, but this, is, this is a teaching point. This is what we have to do. So um, as we close, and I took longer than expected, I apologize. But I, I, I hate to break it to you again, but you're not nothing. It's not always going to be perfect. Okay? okay. You, you're going to make fumbles. Um, that's, that's part of life. I'm not saying that has to be the norm. I'm just trying to make sure that you understand that if you don't make that Goliath choice, where first thing you do is you stand up and say, uh-uh. If, if you don't make the right choice the very first time, you're, you're, you're in good company. I'm not saying abuse it, but look at this example. David and Bathsheba. First mistake. First choice. David wanted Bathsheba. Second choice, he took Bathsheba. Third choice, he got Uriah back and uh, tried to deceive him, long story short. Fourth choice, when that, all that didn't work, he killed the man. Well, four pretty good fumbles. Now, sin is sin, so that was just four fumbles, but... It's a very vivid picture of four fumbles. But the fifth choice he made was to repent when his pastor preached to him, when it pricked him in the heart. Amen? Yeah. So that is, as we went through that list earlier, that was the difference in some of those choices. David messed up. David cut Saul's skirt off. And he goes, what did I do? This is disrespectful to my elder. This is disrespectful to the anointed. And he repented over it. These 
examples that I, that I brought to you, I wanted you to look at the choices that were made, whether immediate or down the line, and what a difference it made in the two men's lives. So remember, you have the superpower to make godly decisions. Amen?